Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, there's a lot of work going back at home, and we know that you are praying for us. Uh, we did feel your prayers uh, when our grandson passed away, and uh, that was incredibly touching to us um, in such a way. And your pastor and his wife were such a blessing to our family during that time. They couldn't be with us, but uh, they were on the phone, and, and uh, that was an incredible blessing to us. And, and I've just shared this. You know, I've got, I've got preacher friends right down the road, and... and you know, we're acquaintances and those things, but, you know, all the way across the pond, I can feel incredibly closer to your pastor uh, than I can to those gentlemen. And I, it's, just a, it's just the joining of the Lord, and I really appreciate that. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that God does those things. So let's, uh, let's take a few minutes here. We don't want to burn the whole day for you, but uh, this, is, um, this is a topic that I uh, get to share on uh, more and more lately. And I love preaching. Uh, I'm a pastor and I lead a church and, and I love to share the gospel on Sunday mornings. A lot of times that's when that happens. But this is becoming uh, much more of a passion of mine to speak to church, to speak to leaders in churches, to speak to the aspect of uh, who we are, what we're doing, and how God instills a love for His church into our lives. And I love speaking on this topic and I love talking about my personal passion for the church. Um, I love to tell people the story about how the church changed my life. And so when Raj and your elders called and said, hey, we want to do a weekend and we want to talk about having a passion for the church. We want to talk about what that means to have a passion about being involved in the kingdom of God. We want to talk about what that means to let our passions serve the mission of the church. Um, those, those things just got me working up really, really good. And so uh, as we begin this weekend, what I want to do is, is I want to begin with God's vision for the church. So turn with me in the, in the book of Acts to chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, watch what verse 42 does. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. They continued steadfastly. That means there was a passion or a commitment to it. That word steadfastly is not just, okay, you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep doing it. That it, 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 it speaks to uh, there's a reason, a motive behind doing it, a steadfastness, a, a commitment to it. Like it, it's the thing that gave them life. They continued passionately in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods, divided them among all who, as anyone had need. So continuing daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That last verse, verse 47, and having favor with all people. Not just believers. Not just uh, like-minded people. But even people who might oppose them. The Bible says they had favor with them. Think about this. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the words of the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. I pray today, God, that you let my thoughts be yours, my words be yours, that your people might be blessed. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? 
So let's talk about our passion. Let's talk about why we should have a passion. Let's talk about what, what flows into us and what flows out of us. Let's talk about why God deposits Himself inside of us in order to build His church on the king, in, in the earth. Let's talk about the fact that when we pray, Jesus said, uh, pray this way, you know, your kingdom come. You know, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. That's a right now prayer. It's not a tomorrow prayer. That's a right now prayer. Let, let, it, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Who wants to go to heaven? Everybody's got a passion for the streets of gold. Everybody's got a passion for a mansion. Everybody's got a passion for what heaven will look like and, and what the experience will be like in passion. In, 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 you know, just go, everybody wants to take their shoes off and you know, skate in their socks down the street of gold. Well, I mean, that's what we think. The pearly gates, we've got a passion for heaven. We want to be there because it's the, it's the end of all trouble. It's the end of all struggle. It is, it is the ultimate prize. But yet Jesus said, I want you to pray as if heaven is already here. I want you to live with a passion now. As if heaven is already here. I want you to believe that the kingdom of God can be established now. And, then, and what we have to ask ourselves is when we look at this, is are we in alignment with Acts chapter 2? When we read that and we go, wow, there was, there was a steadfastness. There was a passion for the things that gave them life. If that text is the basis of what should happen within a New Testament church, and we see the characteristics that are not present now that are present there, we've got to pick those missing parts out and say, what, what is going on? And I believe personally, I personally believe that that word steadfastness is the greatest missing thing. We like doctrine, don't we? Come on. We love fellowship. That's why you're all here early drinking coffee. That's why you've got, or tea, or whatever you call it. That's why you've got it planned afterwards. We, we love fellowship, right? We, we love things. If, if we tell people, oh, come to church, we're going to have some preaching. Oh, and don't forget, there's going to be donuts, coffee, and tea. You know? We love fellowship. We love being together. You know, we, we love that aspect of it. Grab a hold of it. Uh, you know, we love eating. Come on. Christians love eating. <laughs> it's true. Love eating. Who's bringing what? Right? Who's bringing what? You know, you bring this, you bring that. I'm going to bring this. You know, if we, can, if we can get together and eat, right? Like in the South, right? In, in Southern United States, right? Christians love fried chicken. Who's bringing chicken? I'm bringing chicken. That's not enough. Who else is bringing chicken? You know? Somebody else has got to bring chicken. Everybody else will bring chicken. I'll bring the hot sauce. And here we go, right? Even Jesus eats fried chicken. We love to eat. It's right there, right? That's not missing. We pray. 
Look at it, church. And they continued steadfastly. We're not missing doctrine. We're not missing fellowship. We're not missing breaking of bread. We're not missing prayer. Circle, highlight this steadfastness, this passion towards those things, the things that give us life. In order to understand the importance of this spiritual passion, I would say that is what we need. We need to focus on those things. And so there's, there's got to be a new understanding of spiritual passion. There's got to be a freshness to it in our minds. You, you see this underlying uh, uh, thought throughout these verses. If not, let me help you and share with you what I know God has placed in my heart, not only for this weekend, but for the church. Each time I read about God's church flourishing, I see two absolute essentials. Number one, there's a consuming passion for God. It's unmistakable. It wasn't a worry of, oh, we, we, you know, we'd love to worship God, but we can't because we'll get in trouble. We, we'd love to worship God, but we can't because we don't have a facility. We'd love to worship God. There wasn't. There wasn't, any, there wasn't any but. There wasn't. There was this consuming passion for God. They didn't care. All they cared about was worshiping God, this passion for who He was. And out of that passion flowed the second thing, which was a common plan to grow. And this has got to be completely clear. To be what God desires us to become, we must individually and corporately embrace this passion for our ministry. Like you have to embrace your ministry for Teesside. You have to do that with the passion. I have to embrace the ministry God has given me for Centerville, the Amish community. I have to embrace the vision that God has given me in that. And, and our churches have to learn to embrace those aspects of, of what's going on. And this begins first, first out of those two essentials with a consuming passion for God. And I'm just going to take this out of my focus or my understanding of the last 25 years in ministry. The thinking has been to develop new strategies. Let's just find a new way to do it. Got to find a new way to do church. Got to find a new way, right? So what's the strategy to, to win, to influence the world of Christ, uh, around us for Christ? And, and let me just be honest. There's nothing wrong with new methods. I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to strategies. I, I think this is the fact that as the world grows and moves and, and is fluid and organic, like, you know, every organization has to change or it's going to die. So I'm not opposed. This weekend, with this subject, there's a call to surrender to God so He can show us our need for spiritual passion. So let me do something real quick here. I'm not really a, a very good teacher. I'm more a preacher, but I'm going to try and do this, okay? Let me give you a definition for spiritual passion versus secular passion. Now watch this. Secular passion, Webster's Dictionary. 
I like the Webster's Dictionary. I, I like the really old Webster's Dictionary because there's, you know, I can't understand the kids today. They're all talking, you know. What did he just say? You know what I'm saying? Help me out. Webster's Dictionary, passion. It's an emotional state of being acted upon resulting from external forces. In other words, there's this intense drive or feeling that can either be an outbreak of anger or an outbreak or just this ardent affection that happens inside of us. That's passion. It can happen right there. It can flow out in all kinds of ways. In the Bible, this definition, this definition is only used in a negative term. Only ever this definition is used. Let me give you an illustration. In Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you may obey its evil desires, passions. Galatians 5.24 Those belonging to Christ have crucified the sinful nature and its passions and desires. This definition of passion is only used in the Scripture in a negative term. Always used in this way, that emotional state acted upon resulting from external influences. Most of what pastors have to deal with with congregation members getting on the merry-go-round of... They don't have the merry-go-round of stupid in England. They don't. You guys know what the merry-go-round of stupid is, right? Okay, this mom called me. She was struggling with her, struggling with her son a little bit. I, I met with her little boy. He's 14 years old, and he's just a boy. She called me all in a panic one day. I don't know what I'm going to do with this boy. I said, I just met with him. He's great. What's going on with him? He's climbing the tree. Let me understand this correct. You're calling Pastor Don and you are upset. You've got an outbreak of passion. You're angry at your son because he's climbing the tree. I'll be right over and I'm going to climb the tree with him. He's a boy, he's going to climb a tree. If he falls out, he'll learn not to do that. I don't know. She's so passionate, so angry. That's negative external. Hello, somebody. Now, let me give you a definition of spiritual passion. Now, I got I to admit, this is PD's translation. Pastor Don is PD is Pastor Don. No one calls me Pastor Don in, in Michigan. Everybody always calls me PD. I PD. Yes, sir. You know, here's PD's definition. Spiritual passion is an act of will, an act of obedience to Christ based on my encounter with Him. You cannot have an encounter with religion and be changed. You can only be saddened. You cannot have an encounter with anything other than Jesus and be changed. And so an encounter with Jesus, the presence of God, Holy Spirit, living in our lives, those are the things that awaken us to what God is doing. This type of passion is used only once in the Scripture. To describe Jesus' life between the Last Supper and the cross. 
the hours, we call it, the passion of Christ. That word is translated suffering. Not happiness. Man, I'm so passionate about Indianapolis Colts football. That's American football. I'm passionate about it. I've got stickers on my truck to symbolize my team. I've got a jersey I wear, right? I've got a hat that's got the Colts symbol on it. And I, I love my team, right? I'm passionate about my team. And this year proved it more than anything because we stunk. And I had to suffer through it. to suffer through the season. It's terrible. I'm passionate about them. This suffering, it's only used once in, and that's Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Just so you know, Pastor Don's not making this stuff up. Right? And it says there, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering. Many invaluable proofs are being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Some of your translations may say after his passion. That's good. The suffering of Christ was not a result of external forces. It wasn't. Did I share this here? Have I shared it here yet? That the Roman soldiers were amazed at how fast Jesus died. They, they were amazed. They, these guys who crucified men every day, that was their job, to crucify men. They knew how long it took men to die. And if they didn't die soon enough, like if it took too long, then they broke their legs, right? So they couldn't support them. And so these Roman soldiers, when they came to Jesus... They were amazed he was already dead. Like, wait. It wasn't the external forces that killed Jesus. It was related to his perfect desire to be perfectly obedient to the Father and to do the will of God. And Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says he showed himself alive after his sufferings, after his, his passion. Now you, you guys might know this little bitty fella. His name is John Wesley. You might be familiar with him a little bit. Maybe somebody in the room might not have ever heard of this little guy. He was a little bitty guy. He was about 120 pounds. He was really like, you know, I'm a little guy. Me, me, and, me and Matthew here were like, yeah, we, we can relate to Wesley, right? We're like, yeah, this is our man, this is our guy. He weighed about 120 pounds, and Samuel Johnson testified about John Wesley, and this is what he said. He said, his conversations are good, but he's a man who's never at leisure. He's always driven by God to an intense desire to obey him, even if it means he must go on until a certain hour. This is very disagreeable to a man who loves to fold his legs and have his talks sitting down as I do. You see, Wesley's legs weren't folded even in his 90s. 
He was still moving. He had a passion. He had a spiritual passion for what God was doing. He, he virtually lived to be in fellowship with Christ, obeying Him daily in the saddle of His horse, on horseback, far and near to tell everybody about His Savior. You see, we've got to understand that this is only through a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's why my passion is the way it is. Because I had an encounter with Jesus. I, I didn't have a knowledge encounter. I just didn't pray some religious prayer. I just didn't follow through the do's and don'ts. There was a night in 1992 in September under an old gospel tent. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. An encounter with Jesus To follow just shortly after having an an experience of the Holy Spirit while driving down the highway. And the experience was so powerful to pull off the road. Those are the type of things that when I talk about my passion and people say, what drives you, Don? I had one leader, there was a spiritual leader in my life that says, you need to stop being so driven. What are you talking about? You're just too driven. It's going to kill you. I don't feel dead. I feel pretty alive. They used to tell me all the time, Don, your problem is you're too driven. I don't feel driven. I like, I like what I'm doing. I love talking about the church. I love leading the church. I love seeing the church bless the, the community. I love seeing the church grow in ways that are incredible. This personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And then the application of all of that in my life. Listen, it, can, it, it caused me to be transferred from a secular passion to a spiritual passion. Where all of a sudden this guy who was so angry that he would run through a door... Ask my wife. I remember before I came to Jesus, we were married, and I was so angry one day, I just rammed one of our cars right into the other one. So angry. I was angry at the world. I was so mad at everybody and everything. Literally. I mean, today everybody at church calls it PD. Hey, he's like Tigger. You know what Tigger is? Right? Bouncy, bouncy, fun, 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 fun. You know, Tigger. Right, you got it. The wonderful thing about Tiggers is Tiggers are wonderful things. Right? Yeah. The tops are made out of rubber and the bottoms are made out of springs. Bouncy, 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 fun, fun, fun. The wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. You know, Tigger. So it's so funny around the church that there's a certain lady in the church every year, just about every year for my birthday, she buys me a stuffed Tigger doll. Like, I've got all these tiggers around the house. And I'm like, what am I going to do with these tiggers? I'm a man. I don't... Just... Here, here are the grandkids play with all the tiggers. I wasn't tigger. I wasn't. It was more like the Incredible Hulk. You didn't like me when you made me mad. I was so angry. I had a passion. Literally, the only way I made it through high school is because the high school principal was my dad's basketball coach when my dad was in high school. I was in his office every day. I'm so sick of you, Smith. That's what he used to always say. Why do you always have to fight with everybody? Why do you always have to be so mean and angry? 
was this little guy and everybody thought they could pick on me and they learned real quick, right? You grab a wasp and you usually get stung. I met Jesus. And he didn't, he didn't take passion away from me. Come on, church. He gave me something new to be passionate about. And he deposited himself in me. So the, you know what I'm saying? It's like the joy of the Lord is our strength and, and our strength comes from the Spirit of God. And so having an encounter with Jesus Christ filled my life. And I remember sitting beside that road weeping. just we- I couldn't drive. Just weeping because God had moved on my life and he had removed all that. And there was a new passion. See, if the New Testament church is built on programs or strategies without spiritual passion, then we're going to face certain failure. Because there's nothing to motivate us. There's, listen, let me tell you what we do in America. You ready? Here's what we do in America, right? This is what the church's motivation should be. And I, I'm not saying it's all evil or bad. Oh, Pastor Don, we've got to get involved in politics. We've got to elect the right people. Because if we make the right laws, and we've got the right guys in place, then society will be better. So we want to legislate morality. Ask God how that went. You ever read the Ten Commandments? Can't legislate morality. That's what we've got to do. Let's legislate. We've got to work tirelessly and have this spiritual, moral impact on our, our nation. And, and, and if we pass the right laws, then we'll impact the society. We'll build the church. Right? We've got to use the media, Pastor Don, all the tools available to us to expose our lost nation to Christian principles and Christian lives. We've got to enroll our kids in public school or private school. We've got to take them all out of public school and put them in private school. And I'm like, where's the light going to be in public school? On Sunday mornings in our church, if you ever come to visit us, you'll find out real quickly that our high school group sits right on the right-hand side of the stage, not because they're asked to, but because they want to be there. And if you come in as an adult and you sit in their spot, they will run you off. They will. They'll move you back to the back where the adults sit. I love those kids. They're my greatest amen corner. Ask my They are. They're right there. And they go into their school, and I get phone calls from their teachers. Pastor Don, we don't know what you're doing with these kids. They won't stop preaching the gospel. Good. Good. That's what they should be doing. That's what I tell them to do. And they love it, right? There they are, right? We got, but we've got to pull our kids out of public school because we have to shelter them. We've got to protect them. We've got to, Jesus never died to keep our kids safe. He didn't. He died to make our kids dangerous. And I want to loose them on the world. I do. I want to loose them. I want to loose those guys. Just go make some trouble, man. It'll be all right. Just... Here's what we've got to do, Pastor Don. We've got to develop competent marketing agent that will compete with the consumers of society what we need to do is we make, need to make our church more consumer oriented that's not what Jesus was all about at all you know what we got to do, Pastor John? We've got to offer more conferences, and we've got to build more coffee houses. We've got you know, we to build new buildings and those type of things because all these things are catalysts for growth. Listen to me with your good ears this morning. Nothing wrong with any of those proposals that I've just shared with you. God can work in them all. 
But can we really survive with just some fruit, a little fruit, or even sick fruit? And the answer is no. Thousands of churches are fine-tuning their worship services. Thousands of churches are starting new and innovative programs and spending millions in advertising, attempting to affluence spiritual, moral thinking in the society, billions of dollars to grow staff and facilities. We're doing all this to reach the lost, yet everything I read and experience says that people are continuing to turn a deaf ear to all we do. They're not impressed. So what's the missing ingredient? Compassion in our own lives. Are we passionate about what we accomplish? Or are we passionate about the one we're trying to accomplish things for? And his church. We're missing the real and pure passion of God. Do you know why the church did what it did in Acts chapter 2? Because the Spirit of God had ignited spiritual passion within them. His people were changed and they were different. They were different. They didn't have to be begged to do what God asked them to do. They didn't. They did not have to be begged. They didn't have to be cheerleaded on Sunday mornings to worship. A lot of times, I hear from our worship team, you know, God, Pastor John, we're trying to press in, and, but we feel like sometimes people just come in and we've just got to be like a cheerleader on the sidelines trying to get them pumped up. To worship the one who gave them life. Why is that? I don't want the worship team to outsing me, even if they do have speakers. I don't. His people are different. See, you, did, you don't have to beg them to do what God asked them to do. They simply obeyed, and they obeyed with joy because they had a passion for God. They were single-minded to His work, and they, and they made a serious spiritual commitment to a living Messiah. How many Christians do you know that have articulated their life's purpose to do everything they can to fulfill the Great Commission? How many? This is it. This is why I live my life. Sadly, we try to mix that idea in with career goals. Sadly, we try to mix that idea in with doing everything we can to arrive at our grave comfortable. Everybody wants to be on top of the mountain? Sure we do. Sure we do. I took a trip to Colorado... Nine days, 60 pounds on my back. We've got to climb a 12,000 mountain, 12,000 foot mountain. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's pretty close to two miles high. We've got to climb it. We can't sleep below 10,000 feet because that's where the bears sleep. So once you start and you enter the wilderness, you cannot go back. You can't. 60 pounds on your back. All you've got is what you've got on your back to live for nine days. Hardest thing I've physically ever done in my life. Took us probably 14 hours from the time we put our packs on and zipped them down and took off 
to get to the top of 12,000 feet. It was difficult. The last hour, the guy in front of me, his boots were right here. It was straight up like that. My legs ached, my hips ached, and my heart was pounding out of my chest. And, and this guy was like the Holy Spirit to me, like I wanted to quit. You ever want to quit? I wanted to quit. Like physically, my body, I've never wanted to quit anything in my life. And physically, my body wanted to quit. And he would look at me and he'd say, come on, Pastor Don, take 20 more steps. And I'd take 20 more steps and my heart would just pound. And he'd say, you've got to get your heart rate down. I'm trying. Take 20 more steps. The last hour, he said that a thousand times. Come on, Pastor Don, take 20 more steps. I take 20 more steps. It was so much pain. You know what I learned about that? Everybody wants to be on top of the mountain. But no one gets on top of the mountain by accident. You will never get to the top of a mountain by accident. You get there because you have a passion to be there. Come on. You want your church to affect the community? It's not going to happen by accident. you got a passion, and you got to pour your life into it, and you got to realize that if I don't do it, right, if I don't do it, I'm going to die. That's my passion. That's why I love the church, because I feel like if I don't help lead, if I don't get involved in the church, I'm going to die. There's nothing else to do. If I don't get above 10,000 feet, I'm going to die. Do you understand? I went to get an elk to eat, but there are other things there that want to eat me before I get the elk. Do you understand that? You can't, we can't sleep here, Pastor Don. We have to go. We've got 2,000 more. We're looking on it. We've got 2,000 feet more to go, and I'm like, you are crazy. We're never going to make it. He's like, we're going to make it or we're going to die. I'm like, I'm going to die anyway. So he said, then let's die at 12,000 feet. Let's don't die at 10. Many Christians get out of bed every morning and they say, I can't wait to see how many... Do, how many do you know that get out? I can't wait to see how many people I can tell about Jesus today. How many do you know? I can't wait to see. See, that passion, when it's presented, when it's presented, when it grows that way, you know what? When passion is present like that, people worship not for just 90 minutes on Sunday, but they know the importance of their daily worship. Somebody help me. Y'all not helping me. People, listen, when passion is present like that, I'm not going to get to the top of the mountain by accident. I've got to put one step in front of the other. I'm going to take 20 more steps because I know there's life up there. I know that's the top of the mountain. And when I get up there, I'm going to experience something I've never experienced before. That's my passion, right? When people have passion present like that, they're constantly growing in their faith. They're constantly understanding that God's Word's making them be able to be obedient and as they put personal application in their life. When passion is present like that people seek to be in submission to the direction of God and His Holy Spirit God just lead I'm giving you footsteps to guide Lord take 20 more steps Don people truly know when there's passion like that that they're not the owners of their possession instead they're just stewards they're just stewards when I give a man a coin at my church It's not his coin. It's mine. And I will tell them that. And I'll tell them that in front of the church. This is my coin for you to steward. And if you steward it wrong, I will ask it back. 
Ask those men. And I'm not going to ask it back in private. You took it in public. I want you to have a passion for what we do and how we do it and why the way we live our lives as men. See, people truly know that they're not owners of their possessions. Everything I have, I'm not an owner of it. I'm a steward of it, right? I don't have to be begged to do what was right, right? Because I don't have to be manipulated to do what is right. The worst thing we could ever do is put our leaders in a position where they feel like they have to manipulate us to do what God has called us to do. That's not passion. That's not fair for your leader. That's not who he wants to be. I just got news for you right now. If I've got to manipulate a man to do anything, I will forget him. I don't have time for that because then I'm going to have to babysit him while he's sucking his thumb. I'm going to have to do all these other things. I just don't... I can't. I can't. When passion is present like this, people live for a deep personal relationship with Christ and they're seeking to grow in their fellowship with one another. When passion is present like this, people immediately respond to the needs of other Christians. It's not a thought. Oh, should we help them? Maybe we could. I don't know if we have the resources to help them. I don't know. Maybe they don't deserve our help. You know, after all, we told them not to do that, but they did it anyway. When passion is present like this, people are constantly aware of those within the community of Christ, who are looking for opportunities to sow the gospel. When passion is present like this, there's a radical personal relationship with Christ and with one another, and it's noticed by everyone on the outside. You know why they were called Christians first at Antioch? Because the lost people looked at him and said, they look just like Jesus. Look at them. They're like little Jesuses running around here. The, the lost people gave them that name. You are a Christian not because Jesus Christ called you a Christian, not because the Bible called you a Christian, but because the lost world called you a Christian. You get that title from people who are not Christians. Read your Bible. It's right there. And they want us to be like Christ. People with this kind of passion are intentional. They're taking initiative. And they're discovering their spiritual gifts and their talents and, and they're using them for the benefit of the body. This, my friends, is passion. I've got a few more minutes. Hmm? This is passion. This is passion. I'm just going to find this slide. Watch this. Because when we have this kind of passion, let me tell you something, then we're not counting with numbers. We're not counting with numbers for the purpose of allowing the flesh of man to pursue secular passion. What we're doing is we're counting lives, true passion, lives that are changed and committed disciples of Jesus Christ. Every church should be known simply because of the lives that are changed because they are part of it. I don't, I don't want our church to be known for our worship, even though I think it's great. I think they do a great job. 
They're, they're in the studios right now. They're cutting some CDs. They're writing their own stuff now. It's incredible what they're doing right now. Our, I love our teams. Like, I went to the studio one day. They, they, it, took, it took literally 18 hours to cut four songs in the studio. It was an incredible time to watch them, to see what God was doing with them. And I just wept sitting there. I was just like, I can't believe it. But even that, I don't want our churches to be known for that. I want our churches to be known because there are passionate people involved in it. Passionate people for Christ who love Jesus Christ, right? And we're counting that their lives have been changed and they're committed disciples to Jesus Christ. Do you agree? Yes, you do. Everybody say, yes, I do, because I know you do, right? But if we agree, then we need to follow it with another question. Why don't we make this passion paradigm shift? There's an educated word for you. I'm, see, I'm not just an old redneck. I can, use, I can use paradigm. It means change. It's, it's more than just 20 cent. In, in America, a dime is 10 cent. And so if I have a pair of dimes, I have 20 cent. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Why don't... It's change. What? This change. Because we know in our heart that what I have just shared is true, but we also know in our heart that we aren't certain that we can be serious about being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. At our men's weekend last weekend in Michigan, it was great. But we had a gentleman who was acting out. And, and this is the reason why I, I really love our relationship, like my relationship with your pastor and his wife. And, and we, we're just friends. We don't have to have a spiritual hat on all the time. And it's just kind of like, hey, we can share our hearts and just be real. And so one of the guys was kind of acting out. He's in the flesh. And I, I just didn't deal with it because he's not from my church. He's from a different leader's church. And so... <laughs> We walked up to this leader and we said, Hey, um, is that your disciple? Because he can't be one of the Lord's disciples. <laughs> he just stood there and looked at us and he was like, Whatever. You know, it's so funny, right? Like, I, it, was a, it was a play on him, like, you need to deal with this. You know, that's your disciple. He's, your go, he's under your government. And he dealt with it and it was fine. I don't want to continue to deceive ourselves into thinking that what we are doing is passionately building into fully... I don't want to be deceived that I'm passionately building into something that really isn't what it should be. Like, I don't, I don't want to say I'm passionate about building the body of Christ while family members and friends and neighbors and associates die without knowing Jesus. I don't. We've lost our influence to change anything. We've lost our influence to change culture. And the only way to recover it is to start with our own lives, one by one, making that difference. And until we make that commitment, let me just bless you. We can have bigger budgets. We have better programs. 
We can have more staff. We can have a nicer building. But we'll continue to live our lives and we'll continue to do church in our communities, our cities, and our nations. We'll not have effective change in spiritual growth and purity because we're not making a difference. So there's two things that I talked about to set us up. This consuming passion for God and then this common plan for growth. So watch this. So how do we take the first steps? I'm glad you asked. Go ahead, Mavash. Ask. Say, how do we do this? Say it. Ask me. How do we do this? Thank you for this. That's a good question. Man. How do we we have a passion shift from trying to reform and do better through spiritual conviction and repentance? I just don't want to do church better. I want to do it right. We've got to have a passion shift from constantly attempting to develop programs to helping people instead focus on what people and allow the investment of people to give direction to those programs. In other words, every program that we do in church should be a program that is a direct investment for effective change in people's lives. Oh, let's just don't do it. We've got to have a passion shift from always trying to build consensus in the body to building character in the body. Do you know we can be in unity and still not agree? Why? Because the ultimate goal of the body of Christ and the church is more important. I don't have to be right all the time. I don't. I just sat in the elders meeting a couple weeks ago and I said, I totally disagree with this. I do not want this to happen. And all the elders said, we believe it'll be okay, Pastor Don. The next service, I stood up in front of the church and I said, as an eldership team, this is what's going to happen. Hello, somebody. Because I trust those men. I trust them with God. And I trust God with them. They allowed me to disagree. But we're in unity. See, the consensus does not have to be unanimous. It has to be, I prefer you more than I prefer my own agenda. I prefer the church more than I prefer my own agenda. I prefer the body of Christ. I prefer this church more than I prefer my own agendas. I prefer it. And so that passion shift happens. Listen, we've got to have a pat for you Bible teachers, we've got to have a passion shift from the teaching and preaching that continues to just repackage Bible stories to making Bible personally applicable. We can repackage all kinds of stories, but that doesn't mean people are able to apply it to their lives. We've got to have a passion shift from frantically trying to fill positions to instead intentionally filling our people by equipping them for the work of the ministry. 
Oh, Pastor Don, we've got to have a children's worker. Really? Who's equipped for that? Nobody. But we've got to have one. We just need to fill the position. Negative. We failed. Why didn't we equip somebody for that? Why isn't someone equipped to do that? We didn't discipleship properly. We didn't raise up leaders. Why isn't somebody ready to fill that mode? And why didn't I know someone wasn't ready to fill that mode? I'll ask these questions of my leaders all the time. What is our, what is our purpose here at this church? Disciple. What's our policy? Every leader must have a second leader. Why wasn't there a second leader? That's our policy. We'll fix it. Yes, we will fix it. We have to fix it. But not just by filling a hole. You can try to square, cram a square peg in a round hole all day and, and all everybody's going to be is frustrated. And pretty soon you're not going to have a round hole or a square peg. Who's equipped? We've got to equip people. We've got to think this way because our passion is for the church, right? We must have a passion shift from worry about what will be our next activity so that we can keep people entertained. I don't want to do that. I don't want to entertain people. If, listen, if we can only keep people because we have another activity, someone's going to come along and have a better activity. They really are. They're going to have more money. They're going to have, they're going to have more people. That's not the way we want to keep people. You know, there are some great churches in our area, and there are a couple of very, very good churches. And I tell people that all the time. Man, God has blessed us in the area we live in with some very great churches. And people come to me all the time and say, Oh, Pastor Don, this church is doing that. We should do it. I don't know. No, we shouldn't. They're doing it. Let's celebrate them doing it. This is what we're doing. I'm not against them doing it. I want to promote them doing it. So celebrate recovery. Anybody ever heard celebrate recovery? Yeah. There's a couple of churches in our area that do it. And everybody's like, oh, it's so popular, we should do it. You know, the problem when I went to the, the Dominican Republic is they build a Comado. You know, Comado's like a little bitty hut. It's like a little convenience store on the corner of a dirt road where you can come and just buy basic goods or whatever. And the community would see that that little Comado would, would be doing good. And so someone would say, oh, I should do that too. And, and they would build it on the other side of the dirt road. So you've got two Comados. They're not making any more business. They're just splitting the business. And so we were trying to teach the, the Dominicans, hey, this is not good business. You're not making any more money. If you want to build a Kamado across the street from one that's already there, this one has to sell something different. You both can't sell Coke. Okay? So why would I do that? They're doing it. And they're doing it well. So if I have someone that needs to go to celebrate recovery, let me give you the number. Oh, Pastor Don, we should do a food bank. No, the Methodist church is half a block down the road. They've got a huge food bank. Bring your food here and I will haul it down to that food bank. Let the community know that's the food bank and all the churches contribute to that food bank. We don't need one another half a block down the road. They're doing it. Let's have a proper shift, right? Let's do all of this. I don't want to just do another program to entertain people. There's nothing wrong with activities, but the focus is not developing the activity, but developing the authentic believer. This is why we're passionate. All right, here we go. 
Good. I'm glad you gave me just a few more minutes. This is great, right? I'm closing with this one on our first session. This is what I've concluded. What good is peace in our pews if it's not accompanied by the growth of passionate believers for Christ? What, what good is that? Is that, what, is that what we're satisfied with, Raj? Just peace in the church? Everybody's happy. I'm not getting a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. No one's calling me about their kid climbing a tree. I'll be right over. I'm going to climb the tree with him. You know what I'm saying? What good are programs if people in the programs are not developing an authentic, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ that is so radical that the world around them is taking notice? You are different. <laughs> different. Went through the police academy in Florida in 1998. Um, when I went into the police academy, I was, an, I was an elder at our church at that time. And I didn't, I didn't tell anybody I was an elder at the church. I didn't tell everybody I was a Christian on purpose. And every, every day we're at the police academy and we're going through all these things. And, and uh, you know, we went through legal one, legal two. You go through all this stuff. You're in, you know, we've we got all this years of defensive tactics. And we've got all this gun training, all this stuff that goes on. You've got to learn the laws to be a police officer and those things. So we're moving all through there. We get to interpersonal skills. And I'm like, yes. We start talking about interpersonal skills. And everyone in the class had to give a speech to, so the instructors could see how you communicate and how you present things because you're going to have to deal with people and present things, right? We could use any topic we wanted to. Oh, they're in so much trouble. I hadn't told anybody for months I was a Christian. I just lived my life. So it came my night to give my speech. And so I got up and I told my story about how Jesus Christ delivered me from an addiction to pornography. They were not ready. <laughs> they were not ready. It was so good. Like police officers were weeping. Afterwards, the instructor came up and said, I knew something was different, right? I was like, see, I'm not in camouflage. Just, just live our life. And, and then, you know what? Every time there was an opportunity to share on morals and ethics, guess who the instructor got up? He wasn't even a Christian. Hey, Don, will you share on this topic? Sure. Every time. We share on this topic about ethics and morals and talk about those things, the passionate production. See, the church that was discipling me, they gave me a passion for the church. They gave me a passion for Jesus. What good is it without making a shift to the passion paradigm? Like there it is, a change good enough to be about as good as all the rest of the churches. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Right? I want our churches, I know Raj and Charlotte, I know your eldership team, they want Jubilee to be known because it has a passion for Christ. That's it. 
and the people who sit in it and call it their home are passionate people for Jesus. Right? That's the start of where we're at. You good? All right, I'm done right now. I'll save the rest for later.